This episode of Hundy Camp Down Under is brought to you by Ridgeline. Ridgeline have just released their new performance range, featuring brand new styles and high performance fabrics for winter 2020. One of the highlights is the new Ascent Jacket for men and women. The new Ascent Soft Shell Jacket is designed for use as a performance layering piece and has been rigorously tested in the South Island of New Zealand. The new Ridgeline performance range features a new Realtree Escape camouflage print. It fits into the environment you hunt in and the colours appear to adapt to the terrain. All the new gear is available in Australia and New Zealand and for your local stockist, check out the website www.ridgelineclothing.com.au This episode is proudly brought to you by Zeiss Optics. The legendary Zeiss binoculars are founded on exceptional optical performance, outstanding ergonomics and robust construction. Zeiss innovations have constantly expanded the limits of what's technically possible. Generations of hunters and shooters swear by their Zeiss binoculars, being heirloom quality products that are passed down from generation to generation, together with the stories that came with them. Experience the Zeiss Victory SF, the most versatile premium binoculars in the company's 165-year history. Find your local stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. I mean, I know they've done what they've done, but like, and, and all well and good, but it's sort of, sort of, we're sort of more thinking from the kids' point of view. It's like, well, they've had, like, they've been nowhere for eight weeks, best part of seven weeks, or whatever it is, one day back at school, and then it's like, bang, you're straight back into school for back to how it was seven weeks ago. And you're like, especially out, like, our little West, he, he yeah. sort of, but then he got, he was all excited to go to school this morning. He went and he's like, oh, I hope I can go back full time. So <laughs> he was fine. So there you go. It's probably just us freaking out about him, but, but I think um, everyone in the same boat although there's a lot of parents that are probably going get them out of the fucking house and get them back to school. <laughs> no no absolutely no question i think a lot of parents have probably realized how much of a little asshole their children are <laughs> oh mate you soon work you soon work out your um your uh faults put it that way fucking yeah. jesus <laughs> like, you realize like like especially like stay-at-home mums and or stay-at-home dads or mums or parents in general, mm. fuck, to be with their kids all the time. Like, man, I was three days in. That was me. Like, because I've never... Oh, we were only okay. talking about the other night. Like, I never would have had a chance in the children's life to be able to be home because I was, I was home four weeks with them, four and a half weeks with them. And I that I never would have had that unless I went, yeah, unless we went on holidays or something. But at home... That consistently, I just that wouldn't happen. So, but oh, um, yeah, yeah, it's loose. But anyway, guys, you are hearing the voice of Mel Curley. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. We're sitting here. I'm a, I'm on a, one of my Kylie's ciders, and uh, Mel's got a beer. So she's the she's the, the grown up <laughs> under the conversation. So we'll I'm see changed. how we go go by the end yeah. of it. <laughs> So if you hear a slurping or me go quiet for a <laughs> yeah. second, um, I'm jumping on the on the bottle. 
Yeah. So what's been going on, mate? You're uh, okay. So we're gonna have to. I canned a couple of nights, and then Nell canned a couple of nights. She had a better excuse than me. Mm-hmm. Mine was purely because I couldn't get the kids in bed in time, and Mel wanted to go to bed. So that was pretty much what happened <laughs> my end. But um, of late, you've been walking around the bush since she was been allowed out in Victoria. I seem to be doing a lot of bush walking with my gun. I think <laughs> <laughs> what we'd like to call it at the moment. So I haven't really had a successful week back. Are you seeing deer? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Besides, yeah. but that's another story. Um, yes, actually, I've seen a lot of deer. Uh, <laughs> I just haven't killed any. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You can probably, uh, you can probably sense that I'm, I'm angling a question here, folks. Um, yeah. I, I know a little bit of intel, but uh, anyway, we'll get, to, we'll get to those stories. So, but you're back in business. Uh, tell us a little about what you own, if people don't know you. Um, tell us a little bit about your background as far as the shop, uh, and then we'll jump into you personally. Yeah, cool. Um, so I work at Manson Hunting and Fishing. So the business is owned by my parents and it's a bit of a family affair, to be honest with you. So um, there's my mum and dad, my brother, myself and my auntie who all work in this store. Um, so mum and dad have had the business since 2006 now. They originally bought it off a little um, – the guy who originally had it was called The Shooting Zone. He was basically like a little backyard store. Yep. Just went around to like clay target clubs and sold ammunition and all that sort of thing. So basically, um, mum and dad looked at uh, starting business from scratch, but yep. back then, um, a lot of the big uh, suppliers wouldn't give you an account if you weren't an existing business. So that's why they purchased the small business. So then it opened up and everyone, they basically got an account with all the big wholesalers. Yep. So 14 years of trade now. Um, I've sort of been in and out of the shop for probably the last, I don't know, 10 years, but I've been back full time for nearly three now. Um, so I'm pretty much just managed the store now. So yeah, it's cool. And we'll uh, we'll obviously get to this point just obviously the last sort of month and that's bring brought you, but, um, you know, how is it being, Oh, I can't help but ask these questions because we're a small business owner or just about to be an owner, um, but manager. But, you know, how, how do you find being a small business owner? You're obviously managing it now, um, you know, working with the bigger companies or against the bigger companies and, you know, just you're in a pretty good area. So that like obviously Victoria, uh, obviously being in Mansfield, you know, it is a big, there is, a, if you could say, there's a hunting culture where, you know, how, how is it competing and, and obviously being able to, I guess, continue to where you are today? Um, We always have this conversation all the time when people come in and go, oh, you know, can you do a better price on this gun? Cleaver has it this much. And it's just like, uh, no, because I I can buy one and they buy a hundred. So that's probably competitively on price when it comes to firearms. We're probably not at the top of the list, but I think when it comes to customer service, that's where we get a lot of probably our repeat customers and, you know, we try our hardest to be up there with the big gun shops, but at this, like in the scale of things, we're not a big gun shop, Um, but we're probably more of a destination store. Like you said, you know, we're kind of the last point of call when people come into the high country to go hunting, you know, we're surrounded by state forest, national park, you know, hound hunters come through town. So we're pretty lucky in that respect that, We've got a pretty good 
customer base and, yep. you know, they look after us, we look after them, kind of goes around. So, yeah, it's good. You would have seen it, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you've seen a shift in, in uh, social media as well. Like, obviously, you're, you're very, you guys are very, very active on that. And I think that's probably where some of your success comes from. But do you, how did you see that shift? Were you there when that, when that happened? Um, from yeah. going prior to social and then obviously especially with Instagram these days, like how has that made a big change for you? It's huge. It's huge. Um, so I took over the Instagram basically when I um, moved back from overseas and, um, yeah, that was our focus to grow it because everyone's got a phone in their hand. I mean, and you think, look at Facebook and Instagram, it's free to advertise. You know, you're not paying to be – in a magazine or you're not paying for an ad on the internet, everyone just gets on their phone, wakes up in the morning, goes, oh, I'll see what's on Instagram or I'll see what's on Facebook. And I think it becomes probably a bit more personal, like, you know, I mean, I probably spent way too much time replying to people at 9.30 at night. But I wasn't going to say a word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know people um, and you get to know your customers, I guess, you know, yep. like it, it becomes a bit more personal. Yeah, and I, I mean, you could probably say that about our conversation right now is because it's because of social media and then you sort of meet each other like Colin and I, you know, we met down at, um, you know, Bendigo there and I think I'd briefly met you um, one couple of years ago, but it's sort of those small points of contact and then, you know, you grab something there last week for or grab some stuff for Mother's Day. Like it's just those little touch points that, you know, are pretty easy to go these days. You know, flick a quick message on Instagram, and next minute you you, you know you buy something from the shop. So it is really, and it's it is personable. Like it is, there's something different to doing that to then through a website. Oh, 100 percent. And you, I guess, just I don't know. A lot of people don't pick up the phone anymore and call. So it's it's just easy to text, and if you get a response, it's a bonus, I guess, for yeah. some. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm hearing you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It it really does work for us. We sell a lot to our social media yep yep so we'll bring it back to sort of yourself and uh you know anybody you know definitely check out the guys web store and we'll, we'll i'll put them at the end of the show notes and no doubt we'll revert back to the shop throughout the convo but you know where where did uh, sort of hunting you know you said the folks sort of were looking to get into it uh, were you born into the hunting game and fishing game but were you born into it like step back right back to your childhood big time um my dad is a mad keen hunter he's like He's uh, just got this system built into it. It's insane, you know, like he's the kind of person. He's like a, got a built-in GPS when we go in the bush. Sometimes we walk in somewhere and, you know, we could walk for kilometres and kilometres and I walk out at the car and I'm just like, how did we get here again? <laughs> but he's, he's just been doing it forever. You know, he grew up in the bush. So as kids, that's we grew up doing it. He was hound hunting back then. So, um you know, we were probably going up the bush around five years old, nearly every second weekend going hound hunting. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty much born with a gun in my hand, I would say. <laughs> um, so as we went through sort of childhood, um, hound hunting was the main thing we did. And then um, so I have two older brothers that are twins and um, everything they can do, I can do better. Yep, yep, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure if I ask them that, they'll say that too. Yeah, yeah. so um, then we actually got into probably more of the clay target scene. So we took up clay target shooting. Uh, I was age 12. The boys would have been like 13. So, um, And that became our lives for about probably eight years straight. Um, yep. And that's when uh, Dad 
bought the business um, oh. because he was traveling around shooting this anyway. So he figured, well, same thing as what the other guy was doing. We might as well have a little pop-up store, make some money because all three of us shooting was <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, so. definitely. Yep. Cheaper sport. Um, so Nathan, my other brother, didn't pursue that route, but um, Nick and I did. So we both made the Australian team and competed for a few years um, on the Australian team, which was great. And Nick went on, and I probably stopped shooting trap maybe around age 17, I reckon I was. I just, unfortunately, I got to a point where I didn't love it. Yep. Like, yep. You know, when I started to when I finished, like, you know, every weekend I would go somewhere and shoot and by the end of it I was just – I think the politics start to get to you and, you know, probably 16, 17-year-old girl, I probably had a bit of attitude by the end of it. No, no, not at all. Can't see it in you. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think it was after a Cyprus World Champs, I just said, no, I need a break from shooting and unfortunately I just – never took it up again yep. as in like competitively. So um, that's where probably I got back into hunting and I pretty much stuck to that. I yep. still shoot a bit of field and game. Um, sometimes I go and shoot down the line at Mansfield, but, yeah, mostly hunting. Yep. Do you regret that decision stepping away from it? I Looking back do. now? Yeah, yep. I do. And I what? do because... Uh, I wish I'd just, you know, you could go back and tell yourself that yeah. you should give up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and look, my parents were very supportive in that respect that, well, if you don't love it, you don't need to do it. But I think I wish I stuck to it. Yeah, as your, da- as your dad gritted his teeth when you said that, but. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly. So you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you asshole. You just cost me so much money. But... <laughs> yeah, throw it away. Um, but it is, it's an expensive sport and even yep. at, at an elite level, like, you know, Nick went to the Commonwealth Games and you're pretty much, you're funding yourself everywhere you go. Yep. So unless you get someone who's willing to sponsor you and sponsor you with big dollars, it's a tough sport to be in. Probably taking yep. that a bit further, what, what inside the competitive trap and, and it's a world that you know, for what I've, you know, probably watched on Commonwealth Games and, and you know, probably the Olympics, so I probably don't much more, but uh, is, it in, is it in the Olympics? Trap? Yes. Yeah, it is, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a silly question, but I couldn't remember, but... Um, they dropped um, double traps. So da- yeah, that's right. I remember there was something, some headline, but um, yeah. what does a competition scene look like for trap? Like, it's very hard to, you know, obviously with the big surrounding of sort of, you know... Um, you know, the weapons, you know, guns, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, how how did you see in, inside that competition sort of sport? Is it a very closed group or is it quite a, quite a broad um, competition? It's quite – I would say it's a broad competition, but, you know, like any sport, there's a clicky group of people. Yeah. And um, I guess that's where the politics probably came in. You know, it is, it's, it's like anything. Yep, doesn't yeah. matter. Or people don't like you because you're beating them, and that's that's that sort of um, atmosphere that happened towards the end. But but you I didn't think... you didn't rub it into them at all, did you? No, no, I'm not. no. So. <laughs> no, I'm not like that. <laughs> um, but I think um, you know, like a, a down the line um, that I began shooting, I think even 
trap. It's a great sport because I can compete against you. You yep. can compete against me, you know. It's yep. women against men, you're graded. Um, then it's women against women. So I think, you know, there's no boundaries in that sport as to, you know, you can't do it. Yep. I think there's, it, yeah. If you can it's, shoot, if you can shoot, you can shoot. It's simple as that. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, I guess that comes back to a way, and I was probably going to jump to this question a little bit earlier than what I thought, but, you know, coming from a, a female's point of view, uh, and I had Mariska Satori on there, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I asked her some questions like what it was like coming into the hunting scene and not realizing how much she was not in it. Um, that it pretty much had a start. Um, you know, coming in from a female, like going from the competition level, you know, it's a little bit like archery when you compare archery to bow hunting. Archery is like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you say you shoot something like an animal and then it changes the whole conversation. How did you find that switch with the public eye? Um, probably not too bad for me because I've grown up in it. So I'm already in it and I honestly don't really give a fuck what anyone thinks about me probably. (laughs) So (laughs) that's probably the other part of it. But I guess like, you know, I can see it from girls' point of view. I see it all the time you know I get women in the shop that you know want to do it but no one gives them the time of day because unfortunately probably this is a bit of that that it's a boy's world um yeah it's, made it's, the that's survive. yeah that, it is all that I mean I can look at it and you can think you look at it's like a big thing and I probably even just made a point of it it's like you know from a female's point of view instead of just what's your point of view you know it it's sort of it is it's a male dominated sport. Like it's well it's, it appears to be, but it's probably not. Yeah. Oh, it's, and I think it's like I think it's grown um I think it's like thirty percent or something, women yeah. in hunting. It's it's a pretty high rate. And I think I shouldn't say it's becoming more accepted. I think just people are being more open to teaching people. And I think um probably Hound hunting has been a good inlet for women because there's a whole group of people there that are willing to teach you, you know, different skills. But there's also a lot of programs out there that are, um, you know, there for women. Like there's plenty of Facebook pages that are private where people can chat, you know, ask stupid questions without feeling stupid. But it's even like we ran a um, ladies only come and try day at the Clay Target Club in here in Mansfield and we sold out within like a month and a half of a hundred tickets. So Shit. that was our maximum and people loved it. Like, you know, there's girls there that have never even picked up a gun before. Yep. Because it was um because it's at a ACTA range, they were able to come and shoot without having a license. Yep. So yep. um we had a really good response actually. I think there was about ten people who were unlicensed when it got their license and you know, people that um had never taken up clay target shooting, were taken up clay target shooting and that sort of thing. So I think it's growing. Yep. It is. I probably is a scary world from a woman's perspective though. Oh, no question. I mean, probably from anyone's point of view, like I, you know, obviously having Kafaru, you know, you've got guys jumping in to to the hunting game and they probably, you know, they see, you know, the meat, the meat draw has been a, like obviously that's been a big component, especially of late with everything going on. You know, it's like got to fend for ourselves kind of thing, which is awesome um, that we're starting to think think that way that, you know, you can't just rely on shopping centres, you know what I mean? And um, But even, yeah, from anyone's point of view, like the, the thought that they have to have the best straight up, you know, it's concerning. You know, there's already a perception 
and it's sort of it bothers me you know and it's sort of like you don't you don't need to compete with anyone like you don't have to prove anything like I think just getting out yourself and and I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of people out there well thousands of people that are doing their own thing and we don't know them that's great but from a social media point of view when the question's coming through it there's that perception do you find the same thing oh definitely definitely I think yeah and it's probably is the social media's fault that you know someone's out there all kitted out, you know, shot a monster stag and it's like, okay, I want to be that person. Yep. But, it's, you know, that person's probably been chasing that stag for 15 years before they shot it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've been hunting for a long time and I still haven't shot a good salmon stag. Yep. So, you know, I guess. And some people get lucky. Some people do get lucky. Oh, yeah. Big time. We get it quite a lot even when people come in store and they're like, oh, you know, I've been told I've got to spend this and I've got to buy this. And I'm like, you know, you just, you just buy what you can afford mm-hmm. because pretty much every gun on the shelf is going to shoot straight. So yeah. <laughs> if it's not, it's probably not the gun. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't need to get a bank loan. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, obviously there's, there's the argument that, you know, good gear can make certain things easier, but you know, I always say like a pack out, like if you're packing, heavy weight it's uncomfortable no matter what you, what you're doing it yeah. sucks some just makes it a bit easier than than others like it um you know and i appreciate especially the the background that you guys have do you find that when you see someone make a decision do you sort of go oh i wish i could just tell you but do you hold back or do you feel that you can tell them no definitely i feel that I can tell them. I've been that person where um, when I first came back um, three years ago, I was a bit of a tight ass. I, I just put a uh, $400 scope on my gun. Yep. And I would never do it again <laughs> because I almost I almost didn't shoot a fellow deer that is now hanging on my wall because I could not see through this scope and it was, you know, just coming on daylight and it was – so frustrating because I had a good pair of binos and I could see it in the binos and every time I put up my gun, I couldn't see it. And I was like, if this fucking thing runs off, <laughs> <I'll throw this." laughs> so I guess, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say we hold back and you know, it's, it, you'd find it in any gun shop. It's always the money probably doesn't need to be spent on the gun, but it, you know, it, your optics are important because a, if you can't see what you're shooting, well, that's no, that's no good to you. Yep, yep. Uh, obviously, you know, things like comfortable shoes, comfortable clothes. But, I mean, it all comes down to affordability. There's plenty on the market that's still decent. And, you know, technology and glass has come a long way. Oh. Clothing's come a long way. Like your mid-tier glass now is like top of the line 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. It's that's ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think you need to break the bank to get started. Yep. What – um. Actually, where did you go? You were away. You said you'd been away. Where did you head off? Yeah, I um I moved to the UK. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just decided then, you know, I was living in Melbourne actually for a few years and I was just like, I was never quite ready. Like I really loved working in the shop, but I was never ready to live back in Mansfield because this is a town I grew up in and you know what it's like in a small town. You're just like. Yep, oh. still here. Yeah, don't want to go back there. <laughs> but uh, So I lived in the UK for two years. Um, which was definitely a bit of an awakening. I mean, living off eight pounds fifty an hour and <laughs> yeah, cool. drinking pound beers, it was you know, <laughs> balance wasn't great. Um, but 
but it was good. Like I, I probably spent a lot more time traveling than working and, um, yeah, it was a good experience. And then when I came back to Mansfield, I was like, this is where I want to live. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to be back here now. I think, you know, sometimes you take it a bit for granted until you go away and come back. Mm. I think, uh, it's an experience and especially how old were you when you took off? Uh, Roughly. Let's say 25. Yeah, so you're right at that age where you've got no idea what you want to do and then it's like the big world's out there. You've got to go and have a look at it and then go, shit, yeah, done that bit. Tick it off. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's something that I haven't done. Like I've, I've been lucky that work's been pretty good to me. Obviously, I've sort of probably make up for a bit of the travel last few years, but, you know, thanks to hunting. But, um, you know, Kylie, my wife, she, she went down to Sydney and did that working down there and all that. Not that that's overseas, but, you know, it was sort of probably when she did that, overseas travel was probably out of the question, being priced. But, you know, she experienced it. And I always think these, you know, to this day, it's like, oh, I didn't really go and do anything else. So I think that's why I get itchy feet with the hunting and that all the things. So I can see where you're coming from before you sort of settled in. Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, you just got to get it out of your system. And then, I mean, I still love traveling, don't get me wrong, but... I don't think I'd live overseas again just because I don't think we realise how good we do have it here. Yeah, yeah no question there. Yeah. <laughs> so when you come back, um, you jump back, you back straight back into the shop? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much so, straight, straight back into the field? Yeah, pretty much. I, um, I actually didn't tell my mum I was coming home, so I came home and surprised her and, you know, made her cry and all sorts of fun things. And I said, can I have a job, please? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was pretty much, you know, got over jet lag and I was back in the shop. So, yep. yeah, it was great. Um, it was it probably was a bit of a learning curve, like, coming back because I'd been out of the industry so long and probably drank too many beers while I was overseas. But, you know, when I first came back, I was like, oh, what does that do again? And, you know, <laughs> people would ask you questions about, you know, guns and stuff. And I was like, oh, fuck, I know the answer to this, but uh, let me just get one of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> beer brain, mate. <laughs> I've been like starting from scratch. Um, obviously, I've come a long way now. Obviously, I know a lot of stuff. But, yeah, there's still you're forever learning in the gun industry, I think. Um, and the hardest part is probably – the internet, like people will come in and ask for something. They already know more than oh, you do. I know. How hard is it? <laughs> They've already got dimensions and, and it's awesome because I love people getting geared out. Like I, I I love gear, but at the same time, I don't have a lot of it now. I've, I've done the trend. I've had everything and now I'm very, very slimline of what I've got. But it's it's pretty awesome when you're like, dude, you've been you've been frothing on this for a while. Like <laughs> You've been sussing this out. Yeah, man, I've been, I've been on the internet like last week watching every video possible. I was like, eh, cool, you've done your homework then. Make it, and it comes down to colour. I'll just sit here and agree. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. So what colour do you want? That's the hard yeah. question. <laughs> oh, so, so true. if you sort of look back, you know, last few years, what did you take out of it from sort of, you know, those that sort of first 12 months? And this was probably back into a... How the how the hunting world was when you come back. You've been out of it for a little while. You come back. What was the biggest change you've seen? Was it bigger? Was it was it more full on? Was yeah, you know, definitely you, bigger. Me. Definitely bigger. Um, and um, I mean, probably I still get it now, but probably worse back then is that 
<laughs> I'm trying to not say this in a rude way, but a lot of male customers walk in and, you know, I'll be like, hey, here you go. How can I help? And they'll be like, oh, no, I just want to see Nick or I just want to see Shane. It's like, yep. no worries. No worries. Okay. <laughs> so that went on for a while and obviously now, I mean, I still get it quite a lot and then it's funny because the boys go, actually, you need to see Mel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, now you want to talk to me. Okay, yeah. cool. Like, so have, that was, have you yeah. made a point to make sure that you got the info? Like have you worked harder on that? 100%. And um, probably my boyfriend, Cody, helps me with that. He's like a walking encyclopedia. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how his brain works, but there's shit he knows that I would never know how to find out the answer to. So (laughs) he's my point of call. If I can't answer something, I'll be like, just give me a minute. I'll just go out the back. (laughs) How do I make this work or how do I fix this? He's got this brain that just knows everything about everything. So... Um, he's definitely helped me. I mean, obviously my dad and brother have helped me a lot along the way. And I guess it's just getting involved and doing things. Um, you know, like when I first came back, I would never mount scopes, but you know, like that's all the shit I do now when I go sighting guns and things like that. So that was probably a hard part at the, at the start, you know, um, just remembering like what rail goes on, a Remington and what rail goes on a Hauer and things like that. So that was probably a difficult thing at the start, um, but now it's under control. Yeah. It's <laughs> it took me a, a little bit of walk in the park now, but you've got it. <laughs> it was just things like that. And, I mean, there's nothing more embarrassing than standing there going, um, yep, I really do look like that dumb girl. That <laughs> just put your hand up, mate. As my wife says, just wave the white flag, just – uh, time out. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was probably the biggest challenge I found. And um, at the start, I would get really shitty about, you know, um, these particular customers not wanting to deal with me because I'm like, I could have answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a maturity you- thing. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so I do, I do all the paperwork, like gun transfers and that. So, yep. I do love it now when they when they go past me and then the boys go, actually, no, you need to see Mel. And it's like, yeah, that's right. You need to see me. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I drink red. And... Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. How handy has it been? Obviously, um, and this probably continues on from that, the fact that you were in the field using the gear, you know, chasing deer or whatever you're chasing, You've obviously got the experience in the trap, which is obviously a given, um, knowing your background. But, you know, like how handy having that sort of expertise in the shop rather than just an online store, like how does – that's got to be a game changer. Yeah. Oh, and definitely – and we probably see it a lot with our customers because, I mean, we all go hunting. We all go fishing. My mum doesn't hunt, but that's a different story. She's just the brains behind the business. (laughs) She had one go at – shooting a clay target. This was probably years ago before we bought the shot. It was the first time she'd ever fired a gun. She shut her eyes, hit the target, said that hurt, and she was done. <laughs> she That's put it. in there. So she's the brains behind the So weekend. she – is there any any reason that she doesn't do it or just does not interest her at all? It does not interest her. Probably because you lot just – that's all you talk about, so she probably wants to yeah. do something different. And I think she just likes it because, you know, we all leave the house and she gets pissed and quiet. <laughs> 
especially when you're kids and probably well, now. But, um, yeah, I definitely I think in the shop perspective, it's good, like, even, you know, we get lots of new people in and, you know, want to go somewhere hunting around Mansfield but don't know the area. So, I mean, because we hunt a lot, majority public land, it's easy to, you know, give directions and then people are forever grateful. Like, we've had a few customers now that have, you know, called us. Uh, this has been their first time hunting. They've rang and they've said, oh, you know, that place you sent me, I finally shot a deer. And so that's pretty cool. Um, but I think, you know, it's probably a different experience to go into a Melbourne shop because most of the people that work in the Melbourne gun shops probably are mainly just shoot, you know, targets. Yep. They don't get out in the bush. So I guess it's um, from a the, customer. Having the blend is helpful. Yeah. Yep. Oh, definitely. Mm. So if you're going to go for a shot or go for a trout fish, Shot. Shot? Yeah. The fishing's sort of sneaking up on you though, isn't it? I really enjoy it. So Cody Cody is like sick in the head about fly fishing now. So <laughs> <laughs> took up fly fishing probably six months ago and yep. um, that's that's definitely his thing. He goes, yep. oh, I, just, I just love fishing. I, I don't really love hunting like I love fishing. And I was like, oh, that's a big call. So uh, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> is that one? Is that one I've put on the shelf for uh, later conversation? Is it? Sounds like it. <laughs> Did that actually come out of your mouth? The person who has more guns than me says he likes fishing more than hunting. I don't, know, I don't know. So uh, yeah, there's a bit of a compromise there. We came home from fishing on Sunday, and I was like, "Dad's like, do you want to go in for a hunt?" And I, was, I looked at Cody. He's just like, "Oh, I can't be bothered." I was like, "Come on." Like, <laughs> Let's just go. And he's just like dragging his feet around the house. I'm like, hurry no, up. <laughs> you can do your grandpa f- fly fishing back another day. We're going up. And-, and the river was running too hard to fish anyway. We didn't even catch a fish. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, it's sort of, I, they go hand in hand. So, you know, I've, oh. we've, we've mad fish shows up here, but yeah, it, um, it goes hand in hand. So, also tell me experiences, you know, it's uh, it is obviously it's not just a business podcast, it's a hunting podcast at the start, but I can't help but ask about small business. So thanks for that. Um tell us some experiences from maybe early age to, you know, sort of running with hound crews and stuff like that. Like I haven't done it yet. Um Josh and I we we nearly did it. Josh Rogers was talking. Um we had it booked but it I think we got rained out or something or, or I probably got the bug and wanted to keep chasing the deer we'll chase him, but um tell us about that experience because it's a world that sort of intrigues me um and obviously you know the camp atmosphere talking about you know obviously we're hunting camp then under it's it seems to have that real team family environment it does um unfortunately hound hunting probably cops a bit more flack than it should and i i probably would say that they can be their own worst enemies on the internet as to why they We do all can, problems. mate. We all can. Yeah. But um, as a, you know, someone who's starting out hunting or, you know, that sort of thing, I think it's a great environment to start with and it's a very addictive sport. Like you can see why, you know, people hang for it every weekend. I mean, mm. like I said, we started going up when we were really young, so – um, I probably spent more time in the car than the bush because my legs would never keep up. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was pretty cool. You know, you've got the dogs all lined up, ready to go. You're sitting around the campfire. Everyone's excited. It's it's a really cool atmosphere. Um, 
I actually uh, went up last year with my brother. He goes hound hunting. He's he's a he's an anti stalker. I'll call it. He, <laughs> he, hates, he hates deer stalking. He thinks it's the worst thing on the planet because he goes, it's so boring. He's uh. one of these mad sick. I love deer hunting, hound hunting sort yep. of people. So um, yeah, it was actually I dragged Cody. Cody came along this one as well, and um, unfortunately, it was one of these weekends where half the crew <laughs> couldn't make it. So there was five of us who decided that you know we've got this. <laughs> we've got this we've covered. Got the control. So um, we'd driven up, and um, I'd radio into Nick, and I said, "Oh, yep, we're at the spot. Uh, you're right for us to drop in." And he goes, "Yep, we've let the dogs go. They're coming your way." I was like, "Beauty, no worries." got halfway to the bottom, scratch that, they go on the other way. And I'm like, walking distance or driving, he's like, oh, it's up to you. <laughs> Good answer. It's <laughs> going, get back to the car, Melanie. But instead I was like, oh, stuff it. We'll just walk along the walking trail, it'll be fine. <laughs> but to the day, we'd walked 22 kilometres. Probably should have took the car I route. Yeah. Me at one stage, <laughs> we ran out of water. That's, um, that's it was a common. bit of a in the end, but we were on the river, which was fine. But um, we ended up shooting a couple of deer for the day, but it was quite a funny situation because I was like, if I had just listened to my brain and I said go back to the car, I think all of us couldn't walk by the end of the day. It was just such a long, long day, and I think yeah, I think we shot two deer for the entire day. <laughs> 10k deer. Yeah. Yeah, 10 should be right. Um, it's a good day out. Yeah, I, so. Sorry, mate, I just lost you there for a tick. You're right. You're back now. You're back. Yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, so back back to the, to the hound. Um, what's the adrenaline rush? Like, what is it? Is it the dogs or is it like, what's the, what's the catch with it? I think it's the, the dogs. I think it's that, you know the you know the roar of them coming down the hill and I guess it's anticipation you don't know what's coming is it going to be a stag is it going to be a doe you don't know what you're walking into it is definitely a sound thing like it, it gets you excited yep it really does it creates a real adrenaline rush I guess you'd say yep if you're moving into the like obviously the stalking which your brother obviously <laughs> doesn't like but you've taken it up well um <laughs> You know, what do you prefer? Like, you, do you, do you like to mix it up? Do you, do you still like the hounds, or you like you prefer doing your own thing with you know just just hunting in general? Um, I do like the hounds, but I I enjoy stalking. Um, I probably like the ability, you know, to be able to outsmart an animal and sneak up on it. It's pretty exciting, and just I guess being at the bush by yourself and been out the bush with my dad 90% of the stalking I do is with my dad we go out um over winter we just take a day off in the middle of the week and um go every week until the season ends pretty much so it's really good I really enjoy I think I prefer stalking I just guess it it feels like a challenge to me yeah and I think mentally it's it's good like yeah it's probably a bit soothing as well and then getting out of the shop and you know, and I think it's look. It's probably in a. It's probably you can't probably put them in the same ballpark either. Like you've got the adrenaline and the rush of the dogs, where obviously going for a walk with a pack on your back and glassing up deer and stuff like that. It's a whole another pace. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got its own adrenaline rush. Don't get me wrong, but 
you know, it's sort of, I guess you're probably doing a little bit more for your own reason rather than a combined. Definitely. And I think, yeah, just the challenge of, you know, being able to do it by yourself is, is a good feeling, I think. Yeah, definitely. What, uh, what color do you run? I want a 7 milliliter. Just one? You don't have just like a cupboard full? I, well, I sold them all before I moved overseas. So I've got a 7 milliliter that I use for stalking and I've got a little um, 308 uh, Kuyu Camo Model 7 yep. um, with an aim point on it for hound hunting. Well done. Yeah. You're not kitted out at all, are you? <laughs> no, no, very simple. I've got a, I've got a list about a mile long, uh, but yeah, I haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. Do you enjoy your range? <laughs> do you enjoy your range time? Yeah, I do. I do actually. Um, I probably should spend more time doing it, but yeah, I do. I, I just like. I think um, it's good to know how your rifle shoots. Yep. That's a very important part of hunting. Yeah, I suppose it's probably a little bit about the, the technical side of our brains that you like yeah. tinkering. Obviously, you're putting them together and that on a daily basis. But I think the tinkering side of thing, hence, especially on the archery side of things, like it's something that we do. I probably don't do as much once it shoots, it shoots and I don't touch it. But, um, you know, a lot of the guys get into it. You know, it's, they're always just having a little bit of a, oh, we can get that a little bit better. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, it's something to do with that technical side of mind. Yeah. I don't reload ammo. I'm not that technical, especially when I buy it for cost. So <laughs> I just take a packet off the shelf. You're just off the shelf, yep. Sponsorship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks, Mansfield. So I don't really get into the whole reloading, you know, down to the dime. But I I appreciate people that do and have the patience to do that. Can I'm, you see why they do it? And I don't know anything about it, but can you see why they do it? Yeah. Look, if I wanted to shoot out to Colombo, I'd be reloading my ammunition, but um, for what I do as a deer hunter, I personally, personally, that's my opinion, I don't think I need to reload. Like I find that factory ammo prefer- performs perfectly. So for what you need, anyway. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm not shooting anything out. You know, probably lucky anything past 350 meters. So yep. yeah, I'm happy. What's your fondest memory in the field uh, with your dad? Yeah, um, there was a good one actually uh, a few years ago. This is back to the shitty scope story actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Dad and I go away for the fellow right every year and um, a few years ago it was really hot and dry. and <laughs> Hasn't that been like the last 10? Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> um, we'd had three days of pretty much nothing and it was just like you know we just saw a million does and we actually put up a few sand deer and nothing was really going our way anyway um this one morning it was like 4 30 in the morning and i'm not joking you it sounded like this stag was in my bed it was that loud and i was like no i must be dreaming this and i'm like dad feel like he's like yeah i can hear it i was like it's me so we decided to get up and get ready. I mean, we still had a, probably an hour before daylight and um, we started walking up this hill behind camp and I was like, oh, we're way too close. And they were full punching on these two stags and we just ended up laying there until daylight came. And it went on for, I'm not joking you, for like half an hour. It was so cool to watch and it's the one time I didn't take a video camera with me, yep. per usual. 
Um, so we just lay there and I'm laying there with my binos, you know, looking, looking, I'm like, this is so cool. And um, we probably got within, I don't know, maybe 30 metres of them, just punching on this. It just was unreal. Anyway, that's when I couldn't see through my scope and I was like, oh, my God, it's coming on daylight. <laughs> oh my God, it's going to run away. Like a million things were going through my brain. I was like, oh, I'm going to fuck this up. Like <laughs> too much time, obviously. And anyway, long story short, um, I was basically, I just said, Dad, look, I'm ready to shoot um, – are you ready to shoot the other one? He goes, yeah. So I, I aimed for what I thought was the biggest one and um, I took the shot. It dropped on the spot and then um, Dad fired at the second one and it didn't drop. And I went, oh, shit. So I reloaded and fired it as well and it didn't drop. And I think we ended up shooting it four times and it finally fell to the ground. I was like, that's really weird. Like, does go round or short? I've got a 7 mil weight. Like, is this like a super deer? <laughs> So we gave it a few minutes and we walked out there and we found out why the deer didn't run off is because they were actually tied together with um, fence wire. They'd taken obviously four. Oh, so that's why they were blowing. Yeah. It felt or sounded like they were blowing, but they were tied together. Yeah, they lasted. It lasted so long because they actually couldn't get apart. Oh, shit. So they're actually. Tied together with the fence wire, and I thought, oh, that, <laughs> that's so, that was a bit of a relief. And um, I always rub this in Dad's face because we walked up, and he goes, oh, that's yours, and that's mine. And I was like, well, that's really funny. I don't, it's not mine, legend, yeah, but anyway. And then <laughs> we rolled it over, and I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, Shane, this one's yours, and that one's mine, the big one. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, yeah. oh, so the ammunition <laughs> holes probably gave that away. He <laughs> was just like, "Oh shit, <laughs> my dear." So that's always been a bit of a funny story, but um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And um, I guess we we made a bit of a joke after that day and said, "Oh, I bet we never do that again." So <laughs> we went. Oh, this is probably maybe twelve months ago. We went hunting um, just up in the hills, and I said, "Oh." Stop, Dad. There's a doe there. I'll just shoot that. Um, we need some meat. And he's like, yeah, cool. No worries. Shot the doe. Like, I assess the area, nothing else. Shot the doe and up pops a stag behind it and Dad shoots the stag. And I was like, I thought we're never going to shoot two deer together again. Here we are. I thought that's right. Now he shoots the stag and I shoot the yep, doe. I was going to say, there's a lesson learned. To get Dad to shoot the meat to you and then you just sit and wait. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably my favourite memory. Yeah. Yeah, and there's obviously, you know, there's been plenty, but you uh, you went for a bit of a walk the other day. Yeah. Um, What day was that? Sunday, wasn't it? That was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened. Um, no, you got to start uh, from the start. You can't go straight <laughs> to the end. You got to start from the start. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, So, Dad, Cody and I decided to go for a hunt and um, – Dad was like, oh, I'll walk up this gully. You guys walk up that gully. I said, yep, no worries. We'll hunt this way. You hunt that way. All good. So walking in the bush and the wind was swirling everywhere and Cody was hating life at this point because he didn't want to be there. But I was dragging him along and <laughs> I said, we'll just go to the top. We'll just cut across this face. We'll cruise along. Then it's only like one walk uphill and we'll be right. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah, just, just come on. <laughs> 
I'm just how we got to the top and we're cruising along. And mind you, we're like, this was not the lightest of cruising along. We we're quite noisy. I'm walking along and I'm like, in the corner of my eye, I'm thinking, something's not right. I looked up and I went, fuck, that looks like a deer. <laughs> fuck, that is a deer. And it's laying in this rock and I was like, fuck, that's got big antlers. Oh, shit. So I was, I was standing there and I, all you could see was he's sticking his head out over the top of this rock he's laying on so I could see, like, his neck, his head, his antlers, and all I could see was his ass. And I said to Code, um, can you see it? And he goes, yeah, 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 there's two. And I'm like, I don't think there's two. I think there's only one. I can only see one. And he's like, I think there's two. And I'm like, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, I said, can you back me up? If I take this shot, because I'm not really confident, but I was com- like I was, I was confident that I was going to take this shot, but I also probably wasn't really as confident as I probably should have been. Because I, if he had stood up where he was, I wouldn't have had a chance to shoot him because I just he was on that much of an angle. It was, it was hard to explain. But anyway, I had a tree about three meters in front of me to the left, and I was like, get to that tree. I don't reckon I'm going to be able to see him. I'm like. All right, I'm just going to take the shot. I'm going to shoot him in the neck. I'm going to hit it. Back me up. And he's like, yep, got ya. Boom. Oh, fuck. He stands up. Cody pulls the trigger. Thinks the deer's facing the wrong way. Misses it. <laughs> Reloaded and it's run off and I've missed it again. I was just like, that's probably the biggest stag I was ever going to shoot. And it just ran away. Yep. And he's like, I can't believe I just fucking missed that. I said, <laughs> <laughs> So were you freehand? Yeah, yeah. I was probably look. I was probably nervous to be honest with you. And I thought, I thought, like the more I replayed in my head, I was like, I'm sure I hit that, but I don't know. Maybe I closed my eyes for a second. I don't know. I, tra- I tracked it and tracked it, and there was no blood. I mean, it was running pretty heavy on the foot, but um, it was just out yeah. of there. That's what he was. He was scared because he had thunder to go past his ears. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Someone. Pulled a shot right next to his head. Yeah, I'd run. I'd run heavy too. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, and we never found him. And then to make it worse, Dad was on the other side and shot two deer. And I was just like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> <laughs> He's Dad. got one on you there. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, cool. What was it going back? What would you do different? Uh, I probably would have gone to that tree in front of me. Tried it anyway. Yeah, just tried it anyway. Or I don't know. I don't know. I've played like a million scenarios in yep, my head. As we do. Big velvet stag. I don't know how big he oh, I'd say big, but let's say maybe 25, 26, maybe a little bit bigger. It's sort of hard to say because he was yeah. up on, he sort of had his neck back. You wanted to shoot him. Hey? Doesn't matter. It was as big as that you wanted to shoot him. That's how big he was. That's right. I was excited. I was so excited when I saw it. I was just like, oh, yeah. It's game one today. <laughs> Not game one today. That's the first year I've ever missed. So it was like, oh fuck, I didn't hit that. Not, not as, not. A, this is not as a competition. The question, but how many deer you reckon you shot? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've probably only in the last couple of years shot maybe probably only about fifteen. Oh, so you got you've had plenty of time, but in the scope. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. Hassled. I've got to be honest, that's what I've found. Like I've I got a I bought a two seventy there only going back uh last year. 
and um, you know, more from the me side of things. Like obviously, very limited time, and one wind change with the with the bow and blows out a whole gully. You know what I mean? So, long story short, did that, and that's what I found. It's just uh, not having a lot. I've never spent like I shot my first deer a couple of months ago with a gun. Like that's the first thing. I've shot two animals. I've had six shots out of the rifle, four at a target, and I've shot a, a deer and a fox. That's all I've shot with a gun. Like, oh, well, the big gun anyway. And um, that's what I find. I find it weird in the scope. Like, it's, I don't know. It's yeah, hard to explain. Your view is gone, isn't it? Because what, like, especially when something's running, it's so much harder to, I guess, get it in those crosshairs and keep moving. That's, yeah. that's a challenge to have a scope, I guess, too. I find the biggest yeah. thing you realise how freaking much you move like yeah. like i was just on a fence post on one and i think i was just leaning on the post of me buggy with the it's pretty cool i had the i think I had the buggy i don't have a helmet like i got a spotty but i just had it sitting in the dash of the buggy and just so happened to be looking at the fox right i'm like oh i'll shoot it then i got a couple of wild dogs hanging around so i'm trying to chase them but yeah the neighbor got them but yeah but yeah that's what i found just just trying to settle um yeah coming from an archery background it you don't seem to be moving as much. But, yeah, yeah once you've got glass on it, jeez. And it looks like you got the full bone wobbles, doesn't oh, it? Oh, mate, it's terrible. I don't sort of – I suppose the breathing's help. Like, I I do that a little bit, sort of sort of like take a, you know, exhale, I suppose is what you call it. But, yeah, sort of exhale and then I think that sort of seems to calm, calm yeah. the movement a bit. But, I mean, I've never done a shooting course or any of that kind of stuff. Nothing. I really, I really haven't probably been shown how to shoot. But, um, as long as it works. Oh, I think it does them too from two, so I'll stick with that. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll put it back in the cupboard. <laughs> I but, think um, sometimes it can be hard to transition to between um, shooting a shotgun and shooting a rifle because it's totally two different yep. two different things, especially, you know, um, remembering to squeeze the trigger, not just, you know, jerking the trigger, yep. trigger when you're shooting a rifle as you would with a shotgun, so... That can be a hard balance between the two, and a lot a lot of people who are good at shooting shotguns are shit at shooting rifles, and vice versa. Yeah, see it quite often. Yep. I suppose being two te- very technical, different. It's, it's the same thing. You're pulling a trigger, but it's very like there's nothing really similar yep. about it. To be honest, yeah. I can't. What's the process of shooting clays? Like, sorry, we're gonna jump right back here, but like, what's your shot process? Just hit and hold on, or. So usually um, you would mount the gun, um, you would use the two beads. Most guns would have two beads where you line up and make a figure eight. That's how you'd work out that you're holding it straight. I would usually hold on the trap house and then probably set my eyes a couple of feet above the trap house so you don't use the bead to aim. Okay. You eyes. So once your eyes look onto the target, basically your automatic reaction is going to be to follow with that gun. Yep, gotcha. But yeah. Targets going to the left, you lead um, to the right or left, you lead. Um, targets going straight away, you pretty much block it out depending on where your shotgun shoots. I mean, it's very similar to a rifle. You go and pat your shotgun, so it might you might aim dead center, but it shoots you know high or low, and you can change that obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you work out where your pattern shoots, and then. It's and does that come in with the, like you said, it shoots right, shoot left, and and I know we're very, very briefly running over this. So yeah. you know, for anybody that's listening, to this, this is questions from my own point of view. But um, is that something to do with hand eye coordination as well? Like, given that you might shoot right or left, does that could that be the way you're looking down the barrel? 
a little bit, but mostly it'll it'll come down to like left and right will probably come down to you, but yeah, up and down or like low or high would be how the pat comes out of your gun. Yeah, gotcha. Yep, yep. Yeah. And obviously coming from a you know, we're going back to obviously the higher quality guns, but why does someone go to like a top of the line gun over is is that a more consistent pattern? Like is that how that works or is that coming back to ammo? I think it comes down to when you look at price of shotguns, it comes down to, I guess, the quality of the barrel, timber, mm. and engraving, and pretty much the brand that goes on the side. Like yeah. engraved, when you see a lot of engraved shotguns, like especially the high end ones, that's three euros. So they still hand engrave shotguns, and every tap is three euros. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's where price probably comes into more into shotguns would be like grade of timber and engraving. So then on a – so, yeah, so it's a real – I guess it's staying real old school, isn't it? Like it's a prized possession, I suppose you could say, is a a shoddy like where rifle, you actually are getting more performance. The more you go, the better performance you're actually getting. So that's not so much in in the shotgun world. You will, um, I guess, you might get a better balanced shotgun if you spent more money, that okay. sort of thing. That's it on it. Um, but still, like, you with an entry-level shotgun, you could still clean up everything you wanted. I, I really think that shotgun shooting really comes down to the person, not the yep. gun. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I mean, it's it levels out the playing field, doesn't it? Like, in a, in a little way, yeah. you know? Yeah, 100%. What's the best way... Sorry, we've jumped all over the place here, but what's the best way to someone to, you mentioned the open days, but is that the best way to someone to go and have a crack at trap? Like just just go to an open day or something like that? Because it's an intrigue, like intrigues me big time. Um, I think a lot of um, a lot of Quay Target clubs, as long as you're licensed, you can go and shoot practice there. Um, I think it's about three times before you become a member. Okay. Yep. Um, so that's always an option. I mean, most most clubs would be willing to help you there, but there's heaps of come and try days available, and um, these women's only days have become really popular. So, yep. I definitely think that would be the best way. I mean, I started by shooting practice. Um, yeah, that's how I started shooting practice because I wasn't allowed to compete until I was 12. Okay. So yep. I was 11 and three quarters when I sat my gun license because I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, my birthday's in March. I'm going to get <laughs> I'm gonna get this license. Yeah so, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's probably the easiest option. Yep. Talk to the local club. They usually, well, here in Mansfield over summertime, Daylight Savings, they run practice every Thursday night. So yep. there's always someone out there with a gun that would probably be happy to help you. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, see, I, I look at, Especially with the shotgun, I, I look at it as more of like a tradition kind of kind of deal too. Like there's nothing better than seeing a pointer and chasing quails. Like I can watch that stuff like all day. I don't know what it is. I just, I know, I can just see the old timers years and years ago doing it, you know, in the big fields. Just, I don't know, there's something about it. It's kind of, uh, romantic's not the right word, but it's it's very traditional. Yeah, yeah probably a little bit, yeah. yeah. But it, um you know, I see that, see them doing that, chasing the quail and the the pheasants and that over in the states. And you think, oh man, and and they're they're big in hunting over there and everything. But man, when it comes to bird hunting, they are like, there's probably not a person that doesn't do it. Yeah. It's insane. 
It's very much like that. I mean, Europe's very much the same. Oh, same yeah, Europe as well, yeah. Yep. The UK, definitely. That's huge over there. Huge. Especially given the bow hunting, and that's not, well, it's actually not archery's there, but bow hunting's not legal in, a, in most of it. So that's where shotguns are probably, you know, the next closest. Uh, I'm not going to say they're close to each other, but, you know, you can see why a lot of people do it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And over there, like, especially even in their clay target tune, there's so much money in it. Like, oh. It's ridiculous the amount of money they win. So that, and that's probably our problem here is that, as an example with clay target shooting is there, there's really no money in winnings or anything. Over there you might win bloody 10,000 euro to win an event. So Shit. it's over in, the, in Europe and the UK. Yeah. Is that because like back here without getting – because I know you're going for um, the next state premier. I heard that you're getting into politics after last <laughs> month. But um, <laughs> like, is that just because, you know, it, it's just not a popular sport or we just don't have the numbers? I think because it's not a spectator sport here. Yeah, in fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, it doesn't get airtime. I mean, we've got some of the best trap shooters in the world. And would you know that? No, no. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. and and and, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd if I did I, I'd watch it like if I knew about it I'd, I you know yeah. I'd watch it you know what I mean or, or whatever it may be. Um, it just doesn't get airtime, and it's uh, unfortunately in Australia it's probably it's like that with anything that comes in with a firearm. Yeah. It's um, it's pretty sad in that respect because we have some of the best women shooters in the world and we have some of the best men shooters in the world, so yeah. it's pretty disappointing in that fact. Who was someone that you looked up to, and, and not the name would be um, familiar to me by any means, but maybe someone that's listening, but, you know, who was someone that you looked up to um, as a shooter, maybe not, not so much as a person, but, you know, maybe their style or something like that, and, and what was it about that person? Um, probably, I should probably say my brother, because my aspiration was always to beat him. Yeah. <laughs> That's a competition. Competition. Yeah, um, we had back back um, in the day. We had a coach, Russell Mark. He was um, a double trap shooter. Um, he represented Australia for a very long time. Um, he was a very inspiring person. I think um, his coaching ability was amazing, and he just the way he worked with people, it just made you love the sport. And yep. he was. A, He's probably a really positive image for that particular sport. So, yep. yeah, definitely him for sure. Yep. And he he probably had a big mark on you. You know, was there anybody else that on a coaching point of view, like a one-on-one, um, that helped you out through, you know, through your shooting time? Probably my dad. Yep. He put up with all my shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's a, my dad is a very patient man and I don't think that's where I, I don't get that at all because I'm not a patient person so he was um he was there from start to end and yeah he's he's probably the one that you know I looked up to because he really did have the patience for me cracking his shits at times so yeah yep does any of the family still do it was like next door to it or no no well I mean it's a bit of a shame really um I think he's probably in the same boat as me he misses it um but again, we all go hunting now. Yeah. So you reckon you'd ever pick it up? Um, Down the maybe track? in life. Yep. Maybe. I just, I really enjoy being in the bush and, you know, 
I guess the only competition you have is yourself. So yeah. Yeah. there's no pressure to, to, you know, be anything. And sometimes I find that, you know, when I come back to shooting, you know, I had a, a someone come up to me I didn't even know and they were like, Oh, are you taking up shooting again? And I was like, no, like don't don't watch my score. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get through the first ten targets. Like yep. how do I know who I am? <laughs> so I guess there's a bit of sometimes is it you probably I probably put too much pressure on myself to be better yeah. than what I am, you know, when I go back and shoot once a year. So yeah. um I just I think we all just probably enjoy hunting and just that sort of lifestyle now. I think that's a bit of a, like, especially if you're a bit of a competitive nature, which I've got that as well. And I, I hold that back to myself. I don't compare that to, you know, I don't compete with another person or like, I'm, yeah. you know, but yeah, sort of when it comes to yourself, like my, probably a little bit like yourself, you you know, say you, your clay rifle, you know, the house, like you sort of such a, such a broad spectrum of, you know, of sort of honey, of styles is probably the better way to put it. And I was sort of a little bit about the same, you know, the archery kind of thing. And then, you, you know, I was playing footy and I never concentrated. And it's only now that obviously you sort of stick to your kind of one thing and, and things, well, you get better at them and then they get worse because you're so involved in it. The competitive side comes out to try and improve and then the frustration comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming trap would be very, very similar to that. Oh, very, very. And I probably, I will admit, I found the transition from shooting DTL, which is not the Olympic version, and then transitioning to IWSF Trap, which is the Olympic version. Um, can you explain, that, sorry, can you explain what the difference is roughly? It's two, basically two disciplines, very similar. Target comes out of a box in front of you. Um, down the line is literally one clay thrower inside a box. Um, it sits above the ground and I don't know what the degree of angles is, but let's say the fastest target goes 50 kilometres an hour. Yep. Uh, I think in trench maybe the fastest target is like 90 kilometres an hour. I'm, I'm, don't quote me on that. No, I'm that's thinking. all right. Yeah, I mean, so it's really just a matter of speed and angles. Yeah, speed, angles, there's a pit in the ground and you shoot from 15 different traps. So every station has three traps, so there's five stations. Okay. So your angles, your speeds, it's all different. So it's hard. I would say it's more difficult and I probably found that transition from down the line where I felt like I was quite good at it to shooting trap it was like starting again yep so that was a hard transition um for me but i mean obviously it's something i got better at over time but yeah, yeah to well, work on it <laughs> well i mean you get like from an archery point of view you know people that shoot like paper target like yep. like you know paper to going to a 3d target it's a whole nother world when you don't have a backdrop to the target like I've seen some of the best shots, you know, that are part like they'll they'll shoot 90 meters, you know, they'll put five arrows into a little tiny 20% piece at 90 meters, you know what I mean, shooting, you know, a round circle. But you grab a 3D target and they probably won't hit it from 40. It's just a whole nother, whole nother concept of it. Yeah, archery's never been something. I try. I've got a bow. I've never killed anything with it because I just. I'm good at hitting the target, but not hitting it in the same spot. So <laughs> <laughs> shotgun, mate. It's all it's all time. It's uh, probably, in all honesty, it's probably who you're surrounded by as well. Like you know, my dad shot 
you know, I, I knew of a bow since I was little. So, you know, and uh, that's why, I don't know, you've probably been seeing me Instagram stuff. I've been taking the piss out of myself. I've been posting all the, like, me little, like, 12-year-old photos from where I, like, I'm bringing Ozcam back. I'm telling you, I'm bringing Ozcam back. But, um, you know, just because you kind of – Is it going to be Australian-made? Um, that's shit. Shit. That's probably worth money. Yeah, that's right. That's dollars right there. She's going to have to go and raid Dad's cupboard. He'd, he'd still <laughs> have it. He probably still wears it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a piss take on myself, but – it's sort of like, and where I was going with that is like, you, you're kind of surrounded by a bow. So that's what you shot. Like it wasn't, you know, it was just like shotgun. That's, that's, you're surrounded by it. So it's, it's very easy to get taught right and sometimes wrong. But, um, you know, with form and you get picked up easy and, you know, yeah. sort of, oh yeah, that makes it a lot easier. But for someone coming into it, oh man, if you're, if you're not near a shop or near a club, like it, it's a struggle. And I can see why people jump out of archery real quick and get straight back into rifle or just go straight to rifle because it, it's daunting, very oh, daunting. Sure. We see it in the shop, you know, like I stock broadheads um, and that's about as technical as our archery section yep. goes. Like we do a beginner compound. Because you can't specialise it, that's the thing. You you're you're better off having what they need and then that's it. That's right. Until someone, if I employed someone who knew something about that entire industry, then I would go down that yep. that alleyway. But for all of us, you know, like we're all very basic when it comes to archery. So um, we're just happy to stick with the basics and people can come and get their broadheads for when they want to go hunting and that's yep. us. Yeah, it's a bit of an emergency sort of grab on the way. It's like, shit, I'm out. But yeah. Yeah, I can see why, and it is. It's I'm assuming it's exactly the same as the other trends, with you know, with the shotguns or the rifles. Like you've really got to be, especially as a shop and holding stock, and you know, you're better off just not having it, really. Yeah. What's your sort of plans? Have you ever sort of had aspirations to like hunt overseas? Like you want to chase other species? Like, you know, what what's what's hunting for you as far as the future goes? Uh, 100%. Um, caribou's at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Dad just went and, um, and did a hunt uh, for Red Stag over in New Zealand just before uh, the coronavirus kicked in, so he was really lucky. Um, and the guy he went with, he went and did a free-range hunt and he just keeps sending in pictures and pictures of, like, fellow deer and <laughs> <all the laughs> and stuff, and he's like, bring Mel back and I'm like, okay, if I have to, like. Yep, so, twisting me on. Yeah, so that's obviously New Zealand has been on the list for a while. It's just, I don't know, it's affordability, I guess. When it, You know what it's like. You, you yep. go, oh, yeah, I'd love to go hunting overseas and then you see the price tags that come with it and you go, maybe in another two years I'll do that. Like, Well, I think that's the thing with New Zealand is because it's probably, it might, it's probably been a little bit too easy you didn't focus on it. Yeah. Like it's just there. Like yeah. it's you can go and hunt it for a long weekend, really, if you're that keen. Um, I mean, that's something you can think out too. Is you know, go and shoot a tar or something. Just do it DIY. Like you probably don't even really need. Jeez, yeah. you got you got bush experience. You'd, not that I've done it, so I'm not, I can't speak for, you know, speak for it. But you know, I'm exactly the same. It's like spending it's this for every years, every year for the last ten. But. Yeah, it'll happen. We actually had plans this year, and then obviously it's gone up out the window. So <laughs> it's been a nightmare, hasn't it? I think I've cancelled three trips this year, just yep. like four days. I think. No, actually, barrow fishing was one in Darwin that went out the window. 
Then I did have a five-week trip booked in Europe. That went out the window. And then somewhere else. You just have to save your money now and go next year. I know. It's so boring though, isn't I it? I know. Well, <laughs> it's a bit of a head fuck to be honest with you because I got – I'm meant to be hunting the mountain goat again in August and so tag sitting there ready to go. I rang the game of fish. You can stick it to Alaska game of fish and they just said, oh, if you can't get here, that's your problem. <laughs> yep. Even though, and my license costs cost three times the amount of like their residency over there. But and so I'm classed as an alien non-resident. Like that's how she it's what it's on. It's alien non-resident, and it costs me like six hundred dollars just to apply. That's without the actual tag. Everyone else is like two hundred, but yet they can't. And I said, mate, I, I literally cannot fly to my country. I'd be there if I could fly. Like, and he's like, oh, if the season goes ahead, that's just bad luck for you. When is it? August. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think we've got Buckley's. I think they're talking next year before we can fly international, I think, apart from New Zealand. Yeah. The but that's the hard thing. No one knows. And I know this is like out the window, but like no one knows. But, man, it plows your head because I'm like, what happens if I book something like can it, concentrate on something else, and then next minute you still you can fly two weeks before? You'd be spewing. Oh, so I was just like, do I kind of prepare to go and then just be utterly disappointed by the time 20th of August comes around or I don't know. So I think you really got the voice. <laughs> oh, just anyway, so that's that sort of things. But, yeah, it is frustrating. But obviously a big relief now the shop spoke open, mate. It's, it was a tough couple of weeks for you. Um, I know you probably not so much the shop side of things. It was probably more the ruling on the – on sort of the gun side of things, I think there was probably a bit of an underlying. I know that was what you're pretty passionate about, and, and a few other guys as well for for all the right reasons. What sort of grind your gears about that so much? Um, obviously, uh, we're probably used to the kick in the guts being in the firearms industry. We're always kind of, you know, bottom of the list when it comes to things. Dodging uh, bullets, no pun intended. Yeah. So um, I guess everyone was really disappointed when they brought out this whole reasoning that, you know, they're worried about a rise in domestic violence because people are buying more guns and ammunition and then their words later were to say that they went off public knowledge. So in Victoria, we don't keep records of firearm, um, for, of ammunition sales. We don't have to. Yep. So that was our first argument is where did they get their uh, information from to say that, you know, everyone was selling up on ammo. Um, and then two, like it's something like 3% in the last 10 years of, you know, firearm or licensed firearm owners, you know, being a part of something illegal. Yep. It's 3%. Like there's never been a link between domestic violence and, you know, licensed firearm owners. So that was, that was probably the most frustrating part. And I guess to top it off, you know, like, so we have LRD and that's who basically every licensed firearm dealer answered to. So it's a licensing regulation division. Um, so the ban came in on midnight, the 31st of March, and we got told at 7.46 a.m. the next day by email. And they just said, sorry, we're not answering any phone calls. Um, you're to talk to your DFO um, if you have any questions. So it's just a big fuck you. 
Yeah. So that it probably fueled the fire, to be honest, because I think everyone was angry uh, more to the point because licensing division is meant to be there for us. Yeah. That's the reason they exist. Yep. And then just went and shat in our face. So I guess that's where probably everything started snowballing even harder. Um, so it's been a really frustrating battle because we actually haven't had an answer nor an apology yep. or anything out of um, the chief commissioner or the health minister saying that, you know, that isn't actually the reason. I, I just Obviously there's some sort of agenda behind it that who knows, Dan Andrews and his green friends might have made a little, you know, money decision there. Who knows? But obviously, as a, as a gun dealer, it's been really hard. You know, we're a small shop, but we still probably sit on two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of ammo and guns sitting on the wall yep. that we were banned for selling for six weeks, nearly seven yep. in total. Um, and we still had bills to pay. Yeah. So. And I think that's the hardest thing. Like. And you can see sort of that passion coming through, and yeah, you know, you, credit to you being so wised up on the divisions and stuff because it's obviously every state's different. So I can't speak for New South Wales; I have no idea. So, um, and definitely can't speak for for your stuff. But you know, to to just sort of, and a lot of it was, but you know, yes, we had the virus, and they've done well to yeah. We put that aside, as we said earlier. But I think there was an underlying sort of a bit of a notion there um, of what they did. Who did you reach out to as far as trying to get advice? Did you did you sort of um, talk to anyone else? Obviously, your division was closed, so that was the people that you meant to lean on. But you know, who was probably a good voice that maybe people can read up on? Because there's a lot of bullshit going around about you know. Yours is very factual. Um, some of the other stuff I've seen, you know, um, that people you know, they're very factual about the stuff they put forward. Um, obviously, you have passion coming through. Like, that's, you know, that's fine. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of bullshit going on as well. But, like, who, who's, the, who's the one that you'd sort of, sort of lean on? Um, this has been our problem from the start. And um, I think this is probably where we realise maybe as an industry we are a little bit weak um, because we don't really have anyone to be our voice. I mean, we don't have a seat at the table. Shooters, fishers, farmers are meant to be our voice, but we don't have a seat at the table. Yep. Everyone would labour because they want a 3% pay rise in their pocket instead of, you know, enjoying a lifestyle. So that was probably problem number one. I mean, CIFA, um are a legitimate industry, um so that's the big four wholesalers um so they were sort of um making it known but also didn't have the political power to do anything um then there was double s double a which i don't know whether i should comment on that but it was a pretty disappointing to see um them posting up that they could sell ammunition because they work under a WorkSafe licence and it doesn't come under licensing division. So if you become a member, we can sell you ammo. <laughs> so it's uh, just doing a membership drive pretty much in my mix of pandemic. It's like, did you realise that SSAA wouldn't exist if licensed firearm dealers didn't exist? But anyway, so that was a bit of a shit fight. And then um, we got a lot of phone calls and emails in the shop going, you know, who do we give our money to? Who do we fight? You know, what do we need to do? Um, but honestly, it probably just came down to really writing letters to your MP. I mean, we had a couple of MPs um, ring and say that they were part of support, but 
um, there's sort of a bit of a, a conversation yeah. going on about creating something that maybe is for our industry and, you know, not just the shooting industry but shooting, fishing, camping, full driving. Um, something needs to happen because we really just got shat on. Yeah, and I mean, uh, once again, we only probably see these things because of what's happening. Yeah. Any fucking luck, we don't see it again. But it gives you, it worries me that something as simple as going camping can take be taken away so easily. Um, I've said this before a few times on the thing. Like, obviously, when I was lucky enough to go down and hunt the high country with Josh there a couple of years ago, it was such an eye-opener for us, or for myself, because... Mate, we can't step in foot in a national park in New South Wales. Like, without you're pretty much going to come to a lock gate. That's that's pretty much what's happening. You can't even drive through there. Um, but that you go down to Victoria, and it's kind of like it's this free range. Everybody's using it. All the businesses survive off it, yourself included. I said to Josh, "Does it have a go at the four wheel drive places down here?" And like everything's charging on it, and click of a finger. It's just it's just gone, and I guess probably where we're running with this is just for everybody that we all take advantage of it. Um, we've been hit hard by it. Some like yourselves have been hit a bit harder, but we need need to have a think about. We need to make sure we lock this in somehow for future generations, um, and it worries me that could be very very difficult for my kids. You know they're all very early, and any of the future ones, it, it may not be about by the time they get to our age. Mm-hmm. And this is what I guess, you know, like no one wants to be into politics and I never really wanted to be into politics, but I guess now I am. I've got yeah, no, no, new state premier. I've got time. Uh, yeah, vote Mel, number one. Um, no, I just, I think people are probably, they really need to stop thinking about lining their pockets and think about their lifestyle next time they vote, you know. Just like I said, click of the button and it was all taken away from us and who's to say that they won't do it again? Yeah, it could be the next thing. Like it, it doesn't have to be a virus. Like I know that was what happened. Yep. But when you look at the big scheme of what they tried to stop, you're like, that's not really helping what they did. Like the travel part, sure. Yes. I understand why they're doing that. Totally understand. Yep. I'm not arguing anything with – I don't have the knowledge or the know-how and, you know, I'm the opposite end to, you know, political knowledge. Like I I had to ask someone yesterday what the left and right meant. You know, yeah. so – like, it's just not my it, – it frustrates me. I don't listen to it. I don't get into it. But I should. Yeah. That's not an excuse because if I want to know what the future holds for myself and the kids and so on, I probably need to know a bit better, you know, what these are. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, maybe we wouldn't have felt so victimised if it was a level playing field. Like, Understand. you could go kayaking down, down the river but you couldn't take your fishing rod kayaking and just shit like that. It's like – that makes no sense to me. Yeah. I mean, we could we could be reacting because we are so passionate about our lifestyles. Um, you know, and I I'm very, I very sit on the fence when it comes to all these kind of things. So only because I know one side of the fence and I don't know the other, and that's why I speak that way. Um, but it does worry you, you know, some of the decisions that were made. You're like, well, okay, once again, we go into at some kind of financial something that happens to the state and so, like the national park things break down or something like that, you know, what's the first thing they're going to do? Are they going to lock us out of it? Well, they, yeah, it's, it's something that I think is for a, maybe a broader conversation and someone to keep thinking about. Um, maybe not the redneck approach all the time. It's probably yeah. where I'm heading with it. Yeah. 
and um, I had this conversation the other day with someone. Um, we are a very passionate industry and unfortunately some of us are a little bit, bit like vegan activists when right. it comes to the gut side of things. We know, are. We are. Your side of the story, like there's no side of the story. It's my side. You don't exist. Yep. And that's half the problem of the conversation is um, – it's an education thing. It's and it comes down to it, and we get it a lot in the shop, and um, we even get it with small children, you know, like with the mounted um, heads on the wall. It's like, oh, why'd you kill the deer? What the deer do to you? And you're like, oh fuck, how do I answer this one? <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he, ate, he ate me grass. He's on the lawn. He ate me grass. <laughs> <laughs> but just like you know, I guess when these are kids that come up from the city and, you know, they don't understand it. And that's yeah. where it starts, I think. Your education starts young because you're going to have a better understanding when you're older. I think the older generation are harder to educate because it's probably like me. I'm into hunting and I see nothing wrong with it. But, yep. you know, for someone that's not, I can see why they don't like it. I can oh. still see that. So, Look, I think 75% portray it very well. But, man, that's 25% that... Yeah, because you're just not post photos or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, none of us are perfect. I mean, it's, you know, by any means. No. But, yeah, I just think, you know, you, you did, you said it really right. Like, we're an activist for our own, own lifestyle. Yeah. And we just probably need to do exactly that is have a look both ways and just go, okay, so what, what I'm doing now, how is that going to be betrayed? And I know some people say, oh, I don't care. It's like, yeah, but the people 10 years from now will because yeah. we want to still enjoy it, you know. And you see a lot of that, you know, a lot of them come blowing in, they just run in, big hoo-ha, and then they're gone again, you don't see them again. You're like, yeah, thanks for knocking all those walls down and now we're going to try and build them again. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I mean, so we get people that walk in the shop and go, oh, there's guns on the wall and walk out. And it's just like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. really not jump off and shoot but, you. Back in and let me have a conversation. I don't know whether I've said this, but, obviously been in the States a few times and I still remember going over there. I hadn't been there. It was, it was my first trip and Kyle and I went up, um, we went to Connecticut. So we'd stayed in New York, done the Manhattan, all that kind of stuff. And, and I found a Cabela's store. I think it was Cabela's, one of them. I found the closest one was Connecticut. It was like two hour drive. So we're going there. Like <laughs> I was just like, we've got to go. You know, I've been looking at their frigging magazine for 20 years, you know? Anyway, so we, righto, let's go. So we, uh, sister-in-law's um, husband drove us up there and, and I've got to admit we walked in and there's dudes just like swinging shotties around and just like yeah. and there's thousands of them I'm like holy shit yeah. and you're like well hang on no that's just what they do here like yeah. that's just and it was, it was that and I've been around guns all my life like it was that first initial like holy crap <laughs> and then yeah like and then you're sort of like oh no it's all good but yeah. you just, yeah, and so for someone that's come from Sydney and had nothing to do with guns, ammunition or anything, that kind of stuff, like it is a it is a very confronting, you know, probably because why it's portrayed um, yeah. through media. People watch too much American TV. That's the problem. Oh, but <laughs> unless it's safe, it's not like, but even when you get over there, like it's, it's not even like that, no, you know, no. and that's what's crazy. It's just... So perceptions, it's coming back to that all again, and then and then then from there, it's education, you know. And unfortunately, we're never going to get mainstream education. That's no. just not going to happen. But um, my six-year-old got 
when we shot that deer the other week, um, he got told not to tell the story because he said his news story on a Wednesday, he got told that he couldn't talk, say that we shot the deer with a gun. That's what his teacher told him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. So I went hunting with my dad and we shot a deer for meat with a gun. And he got oh. told, she told him that he couldn't say anything about a gun anymore. It was devastated. So I it's going to it's going to be an interesting parent teacher interview when, when I um <laughs> when we get in there. So yeah, listen, yeah, I've got some education for you. Oh yeah, it's uh, she's going to cop it. My wife's uh, always freaking out, but um because she knows I'm going to say something. So <laughs> oh, you know what? I think you have every right to. Well, I mean, you can't. She doesn't know anything about it. That's right. And there was nothing to harm it. He said, "Oh, we shot a gun. We shot a deer with a gun to eat." Yeah. What's wrong with that? These mates thought Dad was the coolest. I was cheering. I got all the me- I got all the merits. I bet you did. Hey, that's a legend. There's um there's a, a teacher at the primary school here in Mansfield who um he she loves these stories, and um she goes down and does some conferences in Melbourne every now and then, and she takes down some of these particular kids' stories on purpose. It's like, <laughs> yeah, on the weekend I went hunting pigs with Dad and, you know, the dogs did really good. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we went and shot a rabbit and that, all these people like in this teacher's conference, whatever it is, get absolutely mortified and tell that, you know, that they can't write these things. She's like, well, it's the country. That's what happens, yeah. you know. That's, that's the normal thing. It's what just, it? you know, and you know, I look at that, you know, and you look at how kids grow up out in the West and the country and that, and we're a different breed. There's yeah. just no doubt about it. Like, sure. we're just, we're generally half the time we're more approachable. We've got better conversation. Most of us are pretty handy without, you know, mechanically, you know, just, you're just helpful in life. I know you're, <laughs> you can help, help life, but, um, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting conversation. I'm glad we've had it because coming from you that one financially affected by it directly, um, seeing your passion come through from the social media and the frustration. Um, and being able to ask you, you know, where did that frustration come from? Um, and not having a, someone to go to is probably not the answer that I was expecting, to be honest with you. Um, because it was more, you know, I thought it more about being more like, Oh, they shut us down. But it's it's interesting here that that's not, you know, it's part of it, but it's not all. Yeah. I just, you know, being left hanging in the lurch. I guess that it was that unknown, like, too, is how long is this going to go on for? Yeah. Like, yeah, and it is it is a two-part conversation. There's old Rona, because I blame <laughs> everything on Rona these days. But... Um, Bring on 2021. Oh, yeah, let's hope so anyway. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's a two-part conversation, Rona, but then you've got that, that conversation of I think no matter what is going on, we need that voice and I think that should be in – you put it really well. It's not just – we're not talking about just hunting and we're not talking about just owning a gun or a bow or whatever it may be. It's 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 a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just that e- education is important for sure. Well, mate, I want you to go to the range tomorrow. I want you to free, shoot freehand uphill. And um, sort that, sort that out. Yeah. Right. I just just Craig's tip for the mm-hmm. night. And um, no, nah, mate. Thanks for jumping on. Um, love your passion. I had no idea about your shotgun, your trap history. So that was pretty awesome to hear. I actually didn't know that. So 
I did not realise your family, and especially you and your brother, competing at such a high level. So that's pretty cool. Thanks, mate. No worries. So, thanks, mate. I'll let you go to bed now because I know you're uh, lucky that beer kept you up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been up since 5.45, so I've done well. You have done real well. She didn't even have a kip. She didn't lay down. She stayed upright the whole time. So, no, awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Um, really good to hear, you know, um, your stories, mate. And um, best of luck moving forward, mate. Hopefully the doors stay open and get back to normal real soon. I think so. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.